Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Porter, and I'm joined this Independence Day by Thomas Pike of Themeborn Games, designer of Escape the Dark Castle. How are we doing, Tom? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So you are gearing up for a second print run of Escape the Dark Castle. We are. In fact, the second print run is uh, underway, or in fact, just about complete, and that will be... uh, getting on a boat over to Europe very soon. Um, and then um, we've got a brand new Kickstarter project coming up next week, which is the big one. For three expansions for Escape the Dark Castle. That's right. We've got um, two new uh, uh, what we call adventure packs, which are uh, nice narrative expansions for the game. And then we have a third expansion, which is what we call the collector's box. And that's a um, bit of a beauty. There we go. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But first, let's get to know Tom Pike, the man, the gamer, a little bit more. Okay. Yep. So what was your introduction to tabletop gaming? Um, It's a big question. Um, I think you have to think back to the beginning, to your childhood, when it definitely came into my life. it's when things started. You used to play things as a kid with your with your family, with your friends. And I remember, just from a design point of view, I do remember being a kid, probably, I don't know, 10 or 8 or 10 or something, being on a, the floor of a holiday home we were at, um, designing a game <clears throat> involving matchbox cars and a pack of playing cards. Um, so I remember from a really early age being very into games, very interested in games and wanting to play and try new things. Um, so th- it started there in, in, in the home, in, in the family, and then um, continued as a hobby for all of my life from that point onwards, and then became my, my career um, after university when I got my first job in the games industry, which is really my first proper job ever at all, and I've been here ever since. There we go. So you, you were saying earlier on, just before we started recording, that, that you worked in games distribution for 10 years? I did. I did. That's that was my first career, if you like, my my um, kind of learning. I, I spent ten years working in games distribution. I was a buyer, so I was responsible for um, traveling around to uh, toy fairs around the world and so on, and looking at all the new games and choosing which ones to buy and import and, and bring to this this country and this this market. Um, so I was very very fortunate there for a long time to be exposed to not only all of the games that were released in that in that decade, but also all of the people involved in making them and the um you know luminaries of the industry to an extent so that was fantastic and i'm very lucky to have had that so that that in itself is a little bit unusual actually because we we talk to a a number of designers on the show and and more often than not um they work in jobs that, that maybe don't have very much to do with the games industry but perhaps there's some transferable skills within what they do and, and what you tend to find is that gaming for them is a hobby up to that point where they transition to becoming a game designer but all of your working life you've been around games it's true and i think that's um perhaps a little bit unusual i think a lot of people follow a very similar path to mine in that they work somewhere for a long time and then decide to at a certain point in their life to quit or, or make a change and go it go it alone or, or set up set something up which is what i did but i yeah it so happens i had i was coming from the industry so i had a lot of extra well, a lot of insight and experience already in this market so that was definitely in my favor and something i still draw on every day and and you feel that that 
that experience and insight, as you call it, has, has stood you in good stead since you've started Themeborn? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's invaluable stuff that, um, you know, it's hard to value because like, I just have it and I just, you know, acquired it over a, a long, long time. And it's not something you can just get or that, which I can advise that you go get. Um, it's not that easy, but yes, as it happens, I was fortunate enough to, to do that for a long time. And I, it very, it really does stand you in good stead for, um, when you try to make your own entry into this industry. I'm sure it does. So we, so we've talked a little bit about what led up to you ultimately becoming a, a, a game designer. And you've talked a little bit about the fact that you were in the industry for a time prior to becoming a designer. But what sort of games do you consider your influences as a designer? Um, that's that's a good question. And there's the answer is you you know infinite. There's there's so many. But I think the things that sort of stand out that are on the tip of your tongue when someone asks you that kind of thing is twofold. It's the old stuff, things that you were exposed to early on which would have shaped shaped it and then your sort of more recent sort of cerebral research when you really were looking for something specific and trying to find it and i think for me that the early stuff is um fighting fantasy game books hero quest um some of this late 80s early 90s stuff that was definitely part of part of what i was into um naturally drawn to and, and, and experienced um and then in later life when I'm sort of seeking out cool gaming experiences, it would be stuff like D and D and epic fantasy narrative sure. things like that. So you're very much rooted in the, the sort of gothic fantasy I, type I, games. Pretty much, I, I do love it. I do love it, and always have. And it's sunk in over the years. All this exposure to all this stuff has kind of been absorbed and processed, and <laughs> comes out now in Escape the Dark Castle, but. Um, not, that's not to say that's the only thing I was interested in, but that um, when you ask me what the influences are, that's that's the answer. That's the first bit for sure. That's the large chunk. Well, you're yeah, definitely a man after my own heart. Then, <laughs> um, so yeah, moving on now to Escape the Dark Castle, it it's been described by a number of people as a gateway game, right? Um, is that something that you were aiming for with the game? In, in a way, it was. In a way, it was. Um, what we were aiming for, more specifically, was for this to be a game. And this, I'm going to win. I'm about to explain a gateway game in, in more words than needed. But our, our, our goal wasn't to make a gateway game. Our goal was to make a game for people who love uh, this sort of two or threefold. But one of them was for people who love fantasy and these themes, and like you said, this gothic or medieval. Um, inspired fantasy but who are kind of they like those themes and those subjects and this all this stuff and they but they, they wouldn't really want to sit and play a board game for three hours or read a 300 page rule book or they wouldn't perhaps a bit too cool for it and wouldn't wouldn't really go and do that um but they like but they like the artwork and they might watch a film or they might have a tattoo about it or, or listen to music with these same themes so it didn't make sense to us that what there's all these people on the edges who aren't playing games um and we wanted something that would bring them in that they would feel okay about playing that wasn't too long or too complicated or took too long to set up or was really geeky and boring um that would bring them into our geeky center <laughs> gradually and easily sure so do you see gateway games as being vital within this industry yes because we have to keep bringing people in otherwise it'll peter out 
and I think um, we're very fortunate to be living through a massive boom in, in tabletop games anyway. Um, but and that's for a variety of reasons, but you, undeniably one of those reasons is you know the excellent gateway games that are bringing people through, um, and there's always room for more of them. We had we are nowhere near having reached our our potential as an industry and as a group of creatives as to what we can achieve and who we can appeal to and we're really just uh, getting into the cool stuff now um, and it's important that we have games like ours and, and like the others that that um, just allow people access to this wonderful stuff it, it's constantly evolving isn't it and what, yeah. what i think one of the things that, that we've mentioned a couple of times in the podcast and one of the things that I'm quite excited for is up until this point, there was a very clear divide between analog games and digital games, but now the lines are starting to fudge, aren't they? They are, and they should do. It makes no sense. It's all entertainment, and there's no reason why any one medium should be should stick to its own and not, not overlap. Um, there's massive crossover for all this stuff, as there should be, and it's only going to become more so, and that's for the better. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's exciting times yeah. indeed. So, Escape the Dark Castle, we talked a little bit about your influences, the, the old choose-your-own-adventure books um, and the old-school RPGs. Um, uh, one of the things that's been said about Escape the, the Dark Castle quite a lot is that it, it very clearly evokes those choose-your-own-adventure games of the 80s and 90s. W- was, was nostalgia a conscious design decision for the game or is that just something that appeared quite naturally um we we didn't think of it as you know quite in those terms of nostalgia being a selling point although that it has turned out to be but what we wanted was i mean one of the goals was to make a game that all of us wanted to play and that our non-gamer friends and these people on the periphery i've mentioned would want to play and we could not find that product that game and i you know, from my previous career, I'd been exposed to a lot of games and I'd brought these, I'd brought, bring these games and it would just never be quite right for all of us and meet all of our tastes. So I set out to do this game. Um, and the, my co- one of my co-designers, Alex, had this idea that the atmosphere and the artwork of the what we loved from these choose your own adventure books and fighting fantasy and so on just wasn't represented in the market today um, these lovely um, black and white hand-drawn illustrations that were just visceral and just captured a fantastic kind of spirit of, of adventure and, and atmosphere um and they were just done at, in the time by the way they, they, that was just they were instead of color it was cheaper to do black and white and i think that it inadvertently created this amazing atmosphere um and that was not represented on the market today and we wanted to do something that captured the same atmosphere um so yeah it, it was very much going for that um whether or not we thought it could would really strike a nostalgic chord we, we, we hoped it might because you know it should um but the result is, has been far better than we ever imagined it really has struck an emotional chord with people and that emotional connection to the game is why we've had the small success that we've had so far i'm convinced of that so it it more emerged out of a desire to recreate something that, that you guys had experienced previously than this is something we specifically want people to feel when we play this. Yeah, it was all about the feeling and the experience and trying to, re- as you just said, trying to recreate something we either experienced or, or imagine or tr- think that we experienced. You know, if we, you know, you, you, you never quite revisit that, but in, in our mind's eye and in our memories, that's what it felt like. And we tried to capture that and put it into a game for now. Um, and it's had this amazing effect of of striking a chord and you know bringing back wonderful memories of and nostalgic feelings for people who were around then and played those games and then for 
young kids and, and or, or just people who who didn't do any of that, they are now discovering that style through this game, which is amazing. And then they are led to discover the real stuff, the, the, well, the real stuff, but you know, the older stuff as well. So um, I just think it's made a nice link between the uh, that old stuff, which passed on and died out. Don't you know for whatever reason as we moved into digital stuff and all these other styles. Um, but they just didn't. These other styles just don't have the same feeling as as and there's a lost element there that we wanted to revive that's quite an interesting one actually um you know talking about reviving something that um a lot of people haven't necessarily experienced because i myself came to tabletop gaming quite late on um like in my early 20s um, and it was through warhammer so i missed the bus when the choose your own adventure books uh first on the market yeah. and and what i gravitated towards with escape the dark castle was the the monochromatic art style um which you said was completely by accident initially well i mean it, it was it was by design we wanted to capture that but it, we didn't know quite the effect it would have um we just thought it was a great style that was perfectly valid even though it wasn't done anymore we sort of felt why isn't that it's kind of in a way for us the best style so why is it doesn't it, anyone do it so we've just revived it but it, it's funny you mentioned games workshop and, and warhammer there it, it is actually also very like early gw stuff and it struck a chord for those players as well um it could almost be an early games workshop product in some some ways we even use the same typeface in a lot of the the games uh, well, it's, don't well it's similar um, we haven't used any any specific typeface from any previous products but we've got one that looks like it could have been from several different things um people yep. often often make that mistake yeah, very, i think i nearly landed you in trouble there <laughs> no, but no, no. We dodged i, I don't think we would be in trouble <laughs> even if we had used somebody's actual font but yeah we had we didn't it's none of them but it looks like all of them and that's that's again that's the whole point and that's what we're doing with the whole game is for it to feel like an old friend or something that you've played before or you've seen but you haven't it's new um but it just gives you all that those lovely feelings and the, the gameplay experience to match so when we were chatting at aircon i don't know if I you did. remember this but i put my foot i put my foot in it a little bit oh yeah well i don't remember that, bit. What was that? because yeah i put my foot in it because I had flicked through the tabletop gaming magazine for that month. Yeah. I mentioned, oh, I saw you were featured in tabletop gaming magazine and it wasn't the greatest review that you'd had. But how do you respond to criticism such as that that you received there? We, I don't. I don't. We don't really. We, there's no, we don't <laughs> need to. There's no. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. Um, I mean, we, yes, we had, that was a bad review. We've had. I don't know, 20, 30 reviews. Um, and I think probably 28 of them have been overwhelmingly positive, you know. So we had a couple of bad ones. One of them was that one. Um, and that's fine. It's, you know, reviews are the opinions of the reviewer. Um, Absolutely. And to be honest, even a bad review, people read it and they see the game. And we've had people who've said, oh, I saw that review and bought it because uh, despite what was said, I thought it looked great and I love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we yeah. don't, we don't take issue with anyone over reviews or, or try and counter their, their arguments um, they, they can do what they like say what they like and um, people can make their own judgments which they have been thank fortunately for us <laughs> it's quite interesting uh, that you were saying that there though that sometimes a bad review can end up having the the opposite effect of what you would expect particularly if it's a reviewer 
that someone's maybe got a, a bone to pick with. You know, they maybe don't like a lot of the opinions they have, and then they read they read a review where they say this game's terrible, and they think, well, what does he know? I'm going to go out and buy it and play it myself. Yeah, I just I just think that's it's that's you know all that kind of stuff is far too personal. It, it's 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 a big industry. There's plenty of room for everyone. You know, we don't. It, it doesn't really matter what what reviews you get. It's really how how the players respond to the game. Um, and it, it would be unfortunate if they didn't if they completely took the the view or opinion of one review and didn't actually check out the game for themselves. That would be yeah. a shame, and I'm sure that happens. Um, but it's you know that's just part of part and parcel of being a publisher is there's always people who love it and there's people who don't. Yeah. Um, you're you're not going to please everyone, are you? And I think the moment that you do, that's when you start making things that are mediocre. Yeah, we, we I mean, the, to be honest, a lot of the criticisms I have seen, and this, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, some of the criticisms I've seen are compliments to me. Uh, to to I, I read them as compliments. They criticize, they say, oh, it's like a game from the 80s. <laughs> and, you know, that's a huge compliment, and that's exactly what we were going for. So... Um, even some of these things that you mentioned are critical. They're not really from in, from a certain point of view. They're actually um, things we were trying to trying to achieve. So there's that as well. Yeah, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Pike of Themeborn is a masochist. <laughs> so going going back to the tabletop gaming review, mm. one of the things that struck me about that review in particular was that I personally felt that that individual had misunderstood what the game was trying to do and i have to say that this isn't just something that i've noticed with escape the dark castle there's a couple of reviews i've read for other games where it's been quite clear to me that the individual reviewing it hasn't got in inverted commas what the game's been trying to do 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 you feel that that's something of of an issue within tabletop gaming that that games are either being misunderstood or misrepresented and that it's coming out in, in reviews and then the way that the customer base respond. It can be, it can be. I mean, for that review in particular, I don't, I don't feel that way, but I think in general, um, it's a problem in all industries with all reviews is how, you know, you sort of think, well, how, you know, it's a, it's what it, it's one individual and it shouldn't be given perhaps as much credit or uh, attention as it is what, what one reviewer thinks. I mean, if you happen to find a reviewer who you always agree with, then that's great, but that seems pretty unlikely. Um, so I don't know. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. Yeah. I think with, um, with reviewers and, and publications, it's a bit like shopping for a jacket. You're, you're never yeah. going to get a jacket off the rails that fits perfectly. You just have to go for the, the closest size. I tell you what, I tell you what I will say, and this is how, this is how I feel about this is I don't really care what the reviewers say. If we get a, if we get a good review, it's lovely. And if we, if there's a horrible or a nasty review, it feels bad, of course, but we don't really do it. It doesn't change what we're doing. We, we didn't set make this game to try and get good reviews, and we don't change the game based on bad reviews. What we change the what does matter to us is the is the fan feedback and the the community. And we are lucky to have a really great community of players already, even though we're only a couple of years old, um, who give us amazing feedback. And we take that feedback and we do improve the the product and the product range using that that feedback. That's the feedback that matters to us and, and the stuff we care about. Absolutely. So moving on, expanding the game, how do you decide 
what you want to add to the game without changing it in such a way where it either becomes unrecognisable from what it was originally or it, it just breaks it all together? That's a good, really good question. I mean, we, we conceived this game, um, and by that I mean this the, the base game, the main game of Escape the Dark Castle. It was always intended to be the start or the starting point of a game system a series of, of products. Um, we wanted it to be a complete standalone game in its own right, fully playable forever. If that's all you ever buy, you've got years of wonderful gaming in that box and that's fine. But it was meant to be the foundation stone of a, of a larger range. We always designed it that way. So we're in now in the nice position that it's done reasonably well, that we can start taking those steps that we have, have laid the groundwork for. Um, but I think that's really important. I think if you make a game and then decide at the last minute to expand it or, or after the fact it can be a real problem and you can end up wrecking the original thing um we've built this to be expanded um so it's it's ripe for that um we're going to be we've got this lovely system where with each adventure pack that we add to the game we introduce more chapter cards which are the mainstay of the game the bulk of the of the narrative and the story and the game um and adding those simply gives you greater variety it doesn't mess with uh, the game in any other way but what we also introduce with each pack is a new mechanic or two and we almost in almost every case allow those mechanics to be for the players to pick and choose so before they start they choose which modules they're going to play with which rules which cards and and away they go so they'll be able to tailor the game and especially as the range grows they'll be able to tailor the game to really perfectly suit their group their level of complexity and so on so it's a it's almost a bolt-on approach to exactly expansion exactly exactly they they can and also the expansions can be played as standalone themed sets within themselves or they can be mixed in or you know you can choose um and you can tailor it to your level what i would say is escape the dark castle in in this this form this edition is never going to be a super complicated strategy game no matter how many expansions we add we're not going to take it to to gloomhaven you know <laughs> sort of levels it's yeah. always going to be a 30 minute easygoing adventure game you can turn that up a little bit with some of these expansions to, to, for it to be a bit more involving and complex um but it will always occupy this position um, of easygoing adventure well, i think i think that's exactly the the appeal of the game though isn't it is yeah. it, escape the dark castle is the kind of game that you want to play where you just you play when you just want to hang out with your friends have a few beers and roll some dice whereas gloomhaven is like a job in itself getting that to the table yeah so i yeah so it can be and that's great and sometimes you want that and there's definitely people who love that and i i i love that i would i would definitely do that too um about with the, with dark castle we're doing something else which is this other thing and yeah as you said people do it that way um but it's it's a game that people play last thing at night with some drinks and and turn and put, put the soundtrack on and turn the lights down and do it kind of really do it it's something people just play kind of sitting around people play uh, people have told us that they do it as a bedtime story with their kids instead of a, bed, a book they, they play the game um and families play it on the kitchen table on a sunday morning and it's, it's amazing that the, the the usage kind of demographic that and the feedback that we get is so varied it's unbelievable we thought it would all be fantasy fans you know and people playing it you know with with a drink and a whatever else they might enjoy <laughs> and, and playing music but but it gets um, <laughs> it's much broader than that as you said it's got it's starting to sort of have this gateway feel to it um that we weren't fully expecting yeah. so that's interesting i've seen quite a few people in the the groups that i'm in on facebook 
and it's been guys saying that they've actually managed to get right. wives and girlfriends who had yes. no interest it, in games playing this. This is absolutely huge. Um, this is one of the things I'm most proud of about the game. It's like I I think I said earlier, we were trying to get people who are kind of on the periphery and part, non-gaming partners of gamers. Uh, it the conversion rate is, I don't know what it is. It's hard to, to keep track, but we get a lot of that feedback. The people who say my, my partner who doesn't play games will play this one and now asks to play it. And the best, I think the best one we had, somebody said that their wife wasn't in, or girlfriend wasn't into gaming. Um, he showed her this game. They played it. They liked it. He said one, one day he came home from work and found her playing it. So <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, and that, Things like that are just um, priceless, and that's why we that's why we make games is for for this, you know, for, for to hear about that sort of experience and know that we've contributed our little thing to them to this great tapestry of games that, that we all enjoy. So one of the things that that struck me when I was playing Escape the Dark Castle was that you could take the the bare bones, uh, the the story engine, if you want to use that term. And you could ap- apply that to a number of different themes. Is that something that you, you're interested in exploring in the future? Definitely. That was always something that we had in mind. Um, as I said, we've laid the groundwork for that now. So we've got this system, this series that can go in or any, really any direction, any genre, any setting. Um, we definitely want to do that. Um, however, Castle is so new and these expansions are just, you know, we're just exploring the castle and um, it's way too soon to be moving on and having new settings and so on. But that is very much the roadmap for the future is, is to see where else we can go with, with this theme. And we will be doing that. Uh, as long as things continue to go well, we'll definitely be doing that. But there's a lot more castle to enjoy in the meantime. Yes, yeah, uh, exciting times ahead. So that's just about all we've got time for. But just before we finish up, if, if people are interested in Escape the Dark Castle and they want to purchase a copy or they want to get expansions for it, where do they go? Um, so the most important thing to say for, on this is to Kickstarter. We have a new Kickstarter campaign going live on the 1st of June 2018, uh, running for the month of June. Um, and that is has two goals. One, introduces a range of new expansions and add-ons, um, almost all of which are driven by our fan community feedback. Um, so they really work and really fit with the game and just make the whole experience better. And the second thing is to bring in new people to the fold. So you will be able to get through this campaign pretty much everything we've ever published, the base game, the first expansion, and catch up, get up to speed immediately with with where we are. Um, So it's a great jumping on point as well. There you go. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And for all of you who are listening, wherever you are, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Hi guys, it's uh, Josh from the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast here. Thanks for listening to us, and now be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for the Unlucky Frog Gaming. Uh, You can also show your support for Unlucky Frog through Patreon. Be sure to check out our website, www.unluckyfrog.com, to find out more. Was that so hard? (laughs) Look... (laughs) 